Hello and welcome to another episode of PhD Pending, the podcast for early career humanities scholars. My name is Anamala and I have a PhD in English Literature. Together we will deep dive into different aspects of PhD life and explore what it really means to do a PhD in the humanities. My guest today is Dr. Robert Lloyd. Rob completed both his undergrad and postgrad studies at Cardiff University in Wales, which is in the United Kingdom, and was awarded his PhD in January of 2021, so very, very recently. Rob is the biggest Charlie Jackson expert I know, and if that name rings a bell but you can't quite place her, Jackson is the author of the famous short story The Lottery and of Haunting of Her House, which of course was just recently turned into a successful Netflix series. In his PhD thesis, Rob analyzed metaphorical representations of ghostliness across Shirley Jackson's writing. In addition to Jackson's studies and spectrality, his research interests include 20th century Gothic writing, which I'm all here for, contemporary women's writing and horror in its literary and cinematic forms. He's currently working on expanding his thesis into a monograph and is editing a collection of essays on Shirley Jackson's short fiction with Dr. Joanne Passy, one of our friends at Bristol University. The reason why Rob is with us today is not uh, that we can geek out about Shirley Jackson, but because he did his PhD part-time. And in today's episode, Rob and I want to talk about his experiences with doing a part-time PhD to help you decide what path is right for you, full-time or part-time PhD. So Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here. And I'm really excited to have you because I think you are almost the only person I know who did his PhD part-time. So I can't wait to hear what you have to share with us. Oh, thank you. That's, that's surprising, actually. I'm surprised that I'm the only person you know who's done a part-time. So yeah, I'd be very interested to get into it with you. Definitely. So how about we talk about how you decided that you wanted to pursue a part-time PhD compared to the full-time PhD? Yeah, sure. So I'm slightly unusual, I suppose, in the sense that I decided halfway through my PhD to switch to part-time registration. So when I started my PhD in 2015, I was on full-time registration. Um, and there are a couple of reasons, really, that motivated me to change. So in my first year, my primary supervisor had been on um, personal leave. So she was away for the majority, actually, the, the entirety of my first year. Um, and whilst that wasn't a problem, particularly, because it meant that I was doing, I was, I was kind of reprioritizing certain aspects of my research and you know, I was looking much more at the theoretical framework it meant that when she came back at the beginning of my second year we there was kind of that <laughs> there was a lot of discussion to be had about the shape of the thesis so I had originally although as you very kindly introduced me as a great Shirley Jackson bore my initial thesis had been much wider in scope actually so I'd be looking at different authors um, and so the work I had done up to that point was on the assumption that the thesis was going to be looking at multiple different authors um, and then when my supervisor came back we decided that actually that scope might be a little bit too ambitious for a thesis I mean as you know the, the process of doing, doing a PhD is always refining the focal point of it you know you start out broad and then it gets narrower and narrower um, and you realize the tiniest speck that you talk about in the end, not not even not even a tenth of what you originally wanted to do, right? Exactly. And it assumes, you know, a much greater you know a size in the thesis than you had originally thought. Um, yeah. So that meant really that so for that first year, although it had been incredibly useful, a lot of the work had been quite general. 
And whilst that was a great grounding for me to have, I thought, well, the problem here is that I've now, I'm, I'm one year into a full-time registration. I haven't actually written that much on material that is now going to be in the final thesis. Um, so that kind of made me think, well, that, that's going to be quite challenging to do on a full-time registration. You know, I've got a lot of extra work to do on top of the work I'd already been doing. Um, so that was one reason that kind of motivated me. The other was, um, I mean, at Cardiff, and I'm sure this is the case everywhere else, when you're a PhD student, you can obviously do some teaching. You can teach undergraduate students. Um, but if you're on full-time registration, there's a very kind of strict limit on the number of hours you can teach in a week. Um, and I decided that as somebody who um, had secured funding for the first year of their thesis, but had not, that was going to stop at that point. I thought, well, the thing is, if I, if I carry on doing full-time registration and, you know, wanting to teach as well, it's not going to be particularly remunerative to do. It's not, it's not going to give me enough money really to, to get by on. Um, and I thought, well, that makes for a really attractive option. So th those were kind of the two main motivations. I thought, well, I don't want the PhD to be something I'm not enjoying. I mean, I want to do, be doing this because it's something I enjoy, you know, myself. And I don't want that time to therefore be rushed and compressed. Mm. And I thought, do you know what? The, the answer here is to, is to switch to part-time. Um, and so what that meant was that my first, my last year, because um, I, 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 I formally applied to switch at the end of my second year, um, that meant that I my final third year of full-time registration became two years oh, um, and then obviously you get you get the write-up period built on to the end of that as well so I just thought this is going to give me the breathing space to to make sure that I carry on enjoying this whilst being able to balance it with everything else I wanted to do. It's definitely an interesting approach because you're so aware of the aspect of mental health but also enjoying the process and as someone who's done the whole thing including teaching in three years <laughs> looking back at it now I think it was a very smart decision to, to actually have the courage to do that at the time of you know when it was unfolding when it was happening and to have the yeah. uh, the foresight and the hindsight all at the same time you know very clever <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> I mean it was uh, it, it was just as well me thinking I don't I don't want to cut short the opportunity to teach because you know I'd, I'd been yeah. looking forward to the teaching element so much and I thought well I don't want to have to give up that just to just to carry on doing the PhD in a shorter period of time so I mean that was big motivation for me as well have you noticed any differences between the part-time slot of your PhD and the full-time or if you compare it to your colleagues for example that are yeah. full-time compared to your your part-time experiences yeah it's interesting I think there are differences I mean that obviously if there weren't differences there wouldn't be any point in in doing it so but I think I'd say largely the differences are, are more I think you call them technical so for instance at Cardiff we have kind of monitoring points throughout the year where you'll be asked to turn in work to be looked at and and everything and the the big difference in terms of those monitoring points is that the expectation of the workload you submit is much reduced so you know you turn in a shorter piece of work you know there's lot there's no not so much of an expectation of you know oh you're really running to schedule you really need to make sure you had that built-in time with it um, as well so that was a main difference as well it's interesting though I was thinking back on it I'm not sure my workload decreased much actually on the interesting. time I think what happened was I was I was working pretty much the same hours um, that I was doing the PhD uh, doing the part of the full-time registration I think the main difference was it just I, I was enjoying it more I was you know I had I didn't have this kind of notion that you know I was going to have to really kind of turn something in soon you know thought oh, I've got to rush through this now and get writing it and then move on and kind of you know that that kind of the the immediacy of it was not so much there um 
and in fact, I think I became more productive on the part-time, partly because um, I was going into university more anyway, because I was teaching and, you know, I, I found, you know, going on site to teach and everything made me, you know, I was more likely to go to the library, I was more likely to go into workspaces and I worked better there. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, you know, I'm not the most productive worker from home. Um, you know, I work much better in the kind of structured environment of a library and, you know, having, you know, dedicated workspaces in your, in the English building and things like that. So that was really helpful to me. Um, but no, I think, I mean, I, I think it is more just that kind of issue of time management and, you know, having the freedom to, to manage it on a slightly less hectic schedule. Um, and I thought, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do the rushing of it. I don't want to kind of have to just write, I've got to do a chapter in three months, another chapter in three months. And, you know, just, it would be a, I mean, it would be a full on experience. And I thought I'm not going to enjoy it if I, if I do it that way. And I, I mean, luckily I wasn't in a position where I could do part time. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't constrained by, you know, needing to finish by a certain point or, or anything like that. So I, I thought, well, on that basis, on the balance of it, just the freedom of it that it affords, I think is, a, it was just kind of what drew me to it. Yeah. And I think the question that comes up for me now is because this all sounds dreamy, you know, <laughs> I wish I had done that now, but just looking back at it, the reason why I pushed through in three years was mainly the monetary aspect, yeah, sure. right? And you mentioned that you have funding um, and just from a mental health perspective, it sounds so much more uh, logical to do a part-time PhD, but then how the precarity of the PhD, right, and of the postgraduate studies, how did you deal with that? Because uh, for myself, I know that was a big, or that had a big impact on my mental health, not being able to, you know, or seeing all my friends starting yeah, sure. their careers and all of that. And it somehow feels like when you're doing a PhD, you are working towards something, but it can sometimes feel like you're kind of stuck in a limbo if that makes yeah, sense yeah no I, th I think that's absolutely true and I think you know that in some ways having that kind of you know being in a in a community where you have people who were you know start at the same time of you and you you there's always this process of comparing oneself isn't there that you think yeah well we start at the same time but they seem to be very much ahead of me and where I am I think what it comes down to ultimately is that sense of you know it, it reflects your own personal circumstances. And that's kind of, I don't want to be too prescriptive and say, well, I think a part-time PhD would work for everyone in the case, in, in every single case, because obviously it's not, that's not true. I mean, some people, you know, just on the kind of, you know, the, the structure of a PhD thrive from having that clear sense of, look, it's three years, three and a half if you need it. But really, you know, you have that structure, you work very much to it and, and everything. And who knows, I mean, if I hadn't, if my first year hadn't been as it was, if I hadn't, you know, if I'd had everything in place in that first year, it might well have been that it meant that I, you know, could have done it. But I think there would have been something even in it that would make me go, you know, the thing is, so my my PhD ended up being about four and a half years, five years. So not a huge deal longer than um, than, a, than a full time PhD. You know, having switched in the middle gave, gave me that extra breathing space. Um, but if you are doing a part time from the beginning, you know, you're taking the full five to seven years. I mean, the although that does give you the freedom to work alongside it and everything, it is still a massive undertaking to do. Um, and I think in that instance, people might be a little bit concerned that, you know, it's delaying you getting out into the job market and, yeah. you know, because obviously it, you're, you're, you're handicapped a little bit in the, in the extent that, you know, if you've got a, um, 
if, if you're looking to, for an academic position, you generally have to have the PhD in place before you're able to apply for things. So, you know, it's a, it's a long and protracted process. Uh, not to mention, you've obviously got that three months at the end then when you have the Viva and then, you know, any corrections you need to make after it. So it can really begin to, to mount up. Um, but in my case, I, I honestly didn't really feel that pressure. I thought, well, the PhD to me is something which I've wanted to do for a long time. I mean, I knew I wanted to do it really as I was beginning the master's. Yeah. And I thought on that basis, given that it's something, it's a valuable experience in and of itself. I don't want to kind of rush through it and then just kind of get, do it and say, well, that's out of the way now. I said, well, if I'm going to be doing this for four years, five years, I'm going to make the most of it and kind of, you know, do really do it to my full, to the full extent that I can. Um, and that's kind of what motivated the decision as well. Was thinking it's not going to hinder me from doing what I want to do. Enjoy the process. I think that's the consensus of a lot of people who have just finished who I'm talking to. Yeah. That they now look back and wish that they had enjoyed the process a bit more. So giving or having that little more extra breathing space, I think, is really good. And in terms of if you compare your time as full-time PhD or again to your other colleagues, right? Um, and to your part-time time in terms of teaching hours and conferences and stuff like that. Um, would you say that you've done significantly more teaching? Um, and of course, there's loads of work goes into teaching, looking at, you know, not just the prep and the actual delivery, but also exam corrections, essay corrections, you know. And then what were your conference requirements? So everything that's kind of extracurricular if you want to yeah, put that in air sure. quotes no i mean i i did a lot more teaching i mean you know infinitely more right. teaching i was i was able to teach several groups on one or two, you know one module and then did multiple modules throughout the year whereas if i had stuck to full time i would have been largely down to one group on one module and then maybe two modules in a year so it was i mean we are talking a significant reduction and as i say somebody somebody who was self-funded the opportunity to to have that extra work. I mean, the thing is as well, the, the, what I have found with teaching is that teaching and the PhD are kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, they're mutually informative. You know, yeah. you, what, what you do when you're teaching is not separate from your work as a PhD student because, you know, a good teacher is somebody who you obviously are, the material you discuss is different and you're obviously operating at a level where, where which you know is accessible to to a BA class but at the same time what you're doing is you're refining your own pre process of thinking well how do I can how does one convey information how do you structure argumentation things like that so actually it was I saw it as a kind of an organic thing of you know working along doing the teaching alongside it was really helping you to inform my own kind of professional and analytical practice on the PhD so I, I kind of was able to justify it to myself in that extent say well the, doing this level of teaching is not a detraction from the PhD it's kind of it's informing it in a kind of broader sense um so that kind of it, I mean as I say there was a it was a big difference and it allowed me to to, to such an extent that it allowed me to do the teaching and not have to worry about looking for a part-time job somewhere else and really then disrupt my studies by taking myself outside of the university to to find something even if it was only for a couple of hours a week I mean you know it, when we say a couple of hours a week for a PhD student those <laughs> couple of hours can make all the difference sometimes you know when you work when you're working flat out from Mondays to Fridays and trying not to work at weekends having you know a couple of hours in the week does make a big difference so so I was really kind of appreciative of that aspect of it um and actually all my conference attendance I did when I was part-time I mean that oh, might okay. be that might be I think partly because you know you get to a stage where in your PhD where you feel comfortable with your research that you want to share it and it might just be that it co 
coincides with that, that, it, you know, the part-time section of my PhD was when I was, you know, was when it was later on and I was doing more research. But it also meant that I did have the time. You know, I didn't have to worry about, well, if I, if I take some time to attend this conference, you know, if it's a, if it's a long conference, you know, three yeah. or four days, then that's re- that was really going to, no, wouldn't hold me back. Whereas on a part-time, I could obviously work around it and kind of incorporate into it. And so I, I think I present, presented a lot more at conferences than I would have done had I been on full time. And it meant that I was able to do other stuff. So at Cardiff, we have this public engagement forum called Cardiff Book Talk. Um, So I was able to um, be a kind of active member in that, but also present on it from time to time, Um, you know, and kind of because it wasn't directly on my, it was kind of on Shirley Jackson, but it wasn't on stuff which I had written about. So it was kind of extra work on top of it. So on that basis, I think, well, you know, it, it just it gave me the freedom to say, well, I, if I there are other things I want to do, other things I want to explore, um, and the kind of the, the leniency and extra freedom that's built into the structure of a part time PhD is what kind of allowed me to do it really. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, as a full time, you're trying to squeeze it in, you know, and uh, just what you said there about really long conferences. Or I traveled to the states for a conference that was three days and. Uh, plus the travel times, that is an entire week essentially cut. And if you count that into, you know, essay corrections and the whole teaching shebang uh, that you don't really see that goes on behind the scenes, then it just really starts to add up. And if you're not really strict with your own research time, you know, that can really cause you to have very severe delays, essentially. Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mean, the thing as well is, isn't it, that you're never working on one thing exclusively, are you? You know, you're a PhD student. Ergo ergo people think, you know, oh, you're just doing the PhD. And so, well, the reality is you're always balancing it with something else. Um, You know, you're never, you're you're very rarely ever in a position, I suppose, except possibly with the exception of first, the first year of the programme. Yeah. Um, There really is no other time where you are focused exclusively and solely on the PhD. So, you know, taking time out of a time to do something else generally affects the PhD more than it does anything else so you know as I say it really does it it really is you know I know that there's this kind of argument about whether you know three-year program should be four years Mm. at least you know how often do you get things done and I think there is an acknowledgement that you know this is it's a it's a serious undertaking this you know you don't enter into it lightly so the race to try and do it in the minute in the shortest possible period of time I think sometimes can be um counterproductive shall we say right I'm feeling a bit called out so I'm just gonna move to the next no (laughs) not not at all but uh, but again this is what I kind of was saying is that it really does reflect individual circumstance um yeah you know in some some people it really works and some people really Really have that motivation and ability to do it and other people like me who you know want to interleave teaching and researching with going to the cinema and, and you know kind of not and kind of not doing work related stuff you mean your your work ethic is much stronger than mine I suppose. <laughs> well I don't know about that <laughs> but so it sounds like there's loads of benefits to the part-time PhD um, especially for your personal circumstances um, have you noticed any shortcomings compared to you know, your full-time period of the PhD or, you know, to your peers? Yeah, I mean, as I said, because because I switched part-time and I was... Because I switched midway through um, mm. and I was doing, you know... I, it didn't extend it by a huge deal. I didn't really feel that there were many disadvantages to my sake. I mean, chatting with um, friends who have done doing a part-time PhD and the main thing I think is the question of how you stay motivated over the length of that time I mean you know five to seven years is a long time to spend on one project um you know to 
you know, not just kind of the to maintain your interest in it, but also, you know, how how do you expect to maintain your working conditions over that length of time? You know, what happens if something, you know, over a longer period of time, there's more likely to be a disruption to it and that might send you off course and things like that. I mean, that I think is a problem. Um, Definitely, other, yeah. I think the other problem with it is that um, there are obviously far fewer funding opportunities for part-time students. I mean, a lot of, a lot of institutional funding, at least, is conditional on you being on full-time registration. Um, right. You know, there are exceptions to that. I mean, you know, it, obviously it depends where you are and where you're studying and, you know, whether you're able to attract things. But a lot of the a lot of the kind of the, the small print will say, you know, you do need to be on a full time registration in order to do it. So the, the kind of the financial security is there is, isn't there to such an extent. And I think that feeds into what you were saying about this sense of precarity that um, yeah. there is there is something more precarious, I think, about the idea of a part time PhD because there's something about it because it's not because you're not doing it full time, supposedly, although I think that distinction isn't always necessarily kind of as clear cut as it could be. As I said, I, mean, I don't think I was working any less, but because you're on part-time registration, there is a sense of, well, what are you doing around the part-time PhD? Why are you part-time and not full-time? I think is sometimes the question you see people saying, I said, well, you're not, you're not working outside of the university. You know, you're not doing something that, you know, you don't have caring responsibilities, for instance, or you don't have a young family or something like that. You know, what, what is the justification for doing that? Um, you know, that sometimes is the question that hangs in the air. Um, but I don't, I, I never really felt that I had to justify it that much. I mean, you know, once you say, well, you know, you explain your circumstances and say, well, you know, I want to do teaching. And, you know, the university is obviously very happy for you to do teaching. Because, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're, so they're not going to kind of quibble on that basis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's the, I would say the two things are that kind of sense of maintaining one's um, motivation and also the precarity that kind of comes with it. Kind of the, are the two big shortfalls I think I'd, I'd yeah. recognise. And to follow up on that right away how did you stay motivated because do you know I know for myself the first year sometimes I look back at my first year and I'm like how like how did I make it even through that because uh, you said it and it was the same for me I didn't produce that much writing at all in the first nine months and that was because of funding applications it was because of teaching that was because of general running around like a headless chicken (laughs) I mean uh, just looking back at it now and looking at the way I was motivated then and how that decreased especially I'm sure you also had a second year slump after your first chapter where you were a bit like shit what is going on yeah, you know. I mean, particularly because as well, the the first chapter did, then didn't make it into the thesis, so oh, it was having Jesus. having done the having done the work and thought, ah, oh, there isn't actually a place for this anymore. So you know, you get that slump after the chapter and say, well, like, it's not, I can't even use the chapter now. So, yeah. so that was quite a pronounced slump. So I mean, I I think there's I think the second year slump is is an absolute real phenomenon. I think that yeah. that is kind of I think everybody feels that to some extent. I mean. I think the main, honestly, this is going to sound a bit cheesy. The main thing that kind of um, kind of kept me motivated was just how much I loved the project. Um, yeah. I just loved the opportunity. Once it had taken on this shape, this renewed shape at the beginning of the second year, I thought I get to spend my entire time reading and thinking and breathing Shirley Jackson, which is just, you know, I'm never happier, as you well know. I'm, I'm never happier I mean... when I'm doing that. So, and I think what, although it's, it, I don't mean that to be a flippant point, I think part of that is when you have that intense closeness to a uh, thing there is a sense i think born of that that you want to do a good job by it you know if you yeah. if you have if you have this kind of intense response to something 
and you know you you love it and you want to you know spend your time engaging with it what what kind of motivates you there say well I want this to be a good piece of work you know you want to do it justice yeah yeah exactly you know you don't want to spend all this time doing the work and then find well I'm just going to settle for you know I need to get this in I'm just going to settle for it um and honestly that was the main thing that motivated me it wasn't any kind of it wasn't so much the, the financial consideration of oh you know I want to get this done and then start the next chapter of my career doing something else it was more I I can't do a bad job on this um yeah I've got to that is where I kind of found the motivation to you know stay in the library until two in the morning some nights was no Shirley's worth it um yeah so, you know kind of almost kind of had that written on my you know kind of post-it note on everything saying do it for Shirley do it for um, Shirley yeah. she's worth it yeah she exactly is. do you know <laughs> yeah well no exactly I mean nobody's going to quibble about that and if they do I will have words with them but, uh, <laughs> but um but no I mean I you know again not wishing to be flippant but I think that that genuinely was the main source of my motivation yeah yeah that makes sense and you mentioned the 2am library gigs Uh, my next question would be how did you stay productive and what are your productivity hacks maybe not advertising and advocating for the 2am library sessions but absolutely beyond that so how did you stay productive especially since you were juggling way more teaching at the same time right Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, absolutely don't want to kind of glorify the whole thing of working late and working at weekends. I mean, that that is something I really had to teach myself to to move yeah. out of. Um, and that that was be would be my main kind of product productivity hack, I suppose, is to say, you know, you you treat it like it's a it's a full time job. So you know, you you treat it as you know, you've got thirty to thirty five hours or so that you're working per week. Um, and then you split it down into days and then you kind of you, you approach it like that. So you say it's easier, therefore, to kind of maintain a sense of, you know, your progression because you say, right, I've, I'm going to break this down into what I need to do at any given time and know what to do. Um, and that really kind of helps as well. As I was saying before, one of the other things that helps is kind of differentiating between different workspaces. So I found over the course of that first year, year and a half, that I wasn't being as productive at home. Um, you know, you tend to think, oh, well, you're comfortable here. You know, you, you don't have to kind of worry about, you know, washing your hair or kind of dressing up. I just need to go to the... And, but Safety the I, commute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, even though I was quite fortunate that I lived like, you know, 10, 15 minutes away from the university... But, you know, it's um, so that kind of but I think that the, what kind of attends to that is you say, well, if you tend to feel relaxed, you tend to feel like, oh, I'm not feeling this. Day. I'm going to go and watch Netflix for, for two hours, which turns into all afternoon, which, <laughs> which turns into a lost day. Um, it's so all I, research somehow. Well, no, exactly. You know, that's how you justify it. Say, so, well, this horror film is kind of related to ghostliness. It's kind of. Yeah. But I mean, so what I what I really forced myself to do in the end was to say, no, I'm going to go into the university to work, um, you know, go into the into the spaces that were set aside for postgraduate students go to the library um you know in, in the in the li- library in Cardiff you were able to book this um your own little room in the library for six months at a time so did that a couple of times so was able to have this dedicated space in the library where I wasn't having to share desk space or anything individual Those... office yeah you no know, exactly what, and it, what is I this know, madness it, it, we, we, we you know, recognise we're kind of incredibly lucky to have that as a as an option, um, because obviously it's not it's by no means the case everywhere. Um, mm. But that was incredibly useful as well, and that differentiation I think also really helped with my sustaining my motivation because then you could say right I've done a full day now when I go home and relax I don't have to feel guilty about yeah. doing it um, and that really kind of helps with the kind of productivity as well. Um, and then I suppose also 
so the way I work is quite deliberate. So what I do is I don't, I'm not one of those people who will, you know, when they start a new chapter, they'll start writing something and see where it takes them. I like to really kind of balkanize my work in things. So I'll do all the reading first, everything that I want to read for this chapter, go over stuff. Then I kind of type them up into notes. So I have all the primary quotations I want to look at on one document, all the secondary material on another kind of work, build the plan from that. And then I'll kind of do the writing in like a two week you know, hurricane of, of words and, and late nights and try and do it that way. So I work in a very kind of deliberate way. The advantage to that I find is that you're able to much more clearly differentiate when you're doing, you know, what you, you're doing all this work. So you can get up in the morning and say, right, today's a reading day. I've got three articles to read. I can read those. And then that's my work done for the day. Whereas I found if you're mixing, if you say, well, I've got this article to read, but I also want to type up this. And then, oh, there's that other thing which I need to check as well. It becomes much more easy to get distracted and, you know, and to kind of lose a sense of how much progress you're making at any given time. So that kind of, you know, work, breaking that down into the different types of work I wanted to do, I found was really kind of a good productivity hack. What it does mean though, is that those final kind of like two or three weeks where you're doing the writing are horrendous. <laughs> you know, it is, you've, you, you're kind of just, you, you wake up and you're just focused on writing one day and then you'd start it all again the next day. And it's intense, you know, you're writing a 15,000 word chapter in the space of a space of two or three weeks. Um, yeah. You know, and it can be, it can be tough, but it meant that I had everything I wanted was there to hand. And if I needed to kind of do the time, I said, well, I don't have to now stop and go and do that reading and do that research now because I've got it here to hand and I can, you know, if I need to spend an hour just looking it up, I can do it, but then get back into the flow of it. Very, very time effective. Well, exactly. I and feel I found... like in terms of research as well, right? Because you don't get carried away. You don't have that snowball effect of of reading, right? Exactly. And if, and if you do, you have it at the stage where you're doing the initial research, you know, so it's not going to yeah. derail you when you're doing it. And, you know, obviously, when you, whenever, if you kind of say, right, there are these 10 things I want to read, invariably that 10 things then becomes 15 things and then it can, you know, it grows from there because as you know, as you do the reading, you, you discover lines of argument which you want to explore in more detail. But, you know, you're not then eating into time which you had set aside for something else. You said, right, this is the, this is the reading and research phase. Um, and then until I'm happy that I've done it, everything I want to do I will then go on to the planning and typing up and then we'll get into the writing um, and that really really worked for me I mean that was something I developed kind of I kind of developed it for the MA dissertation as well so I'd, I'd kind of trialed it there and then obviously getting into the PhD hall that's going to be the most effective effective kind of way of organizing my research and my working time um, and it really did kind of you know really does help stay keep you focused on what you need to do and you know, you could feel like you were doing the work. And at what stage in that process did you nail down your arguments? Overall project argument, but also the siloed off chapter arguments kind of so. And, you know, you also have to kind of like prune it and just work on the tiny aspects of it. Yeah, sure. I mean, the so, I mean, the, the real kind of argumentation for me emerged in the planning stage. So, you know, you, you do all the reading, all the research, you've got all the raw material there. You then review it and you say, okay, I can see now where kind of this is leading me in terms of what I mean obviously when you start you've got a vague idea of what you want to say anyway I mean if you didn't yeah, have yeah. that you if it was that unfocused you'd, you'd never get anywhere so I had when I was reading the material I knew this is what I want to be looking out for um, and then you group it all together and again it's so much easier to review that information when you've gone all through it you've typed up the relevant sections are you've got so you know you've then got I mean you've still got a lot of material to review but you've not got you know like a 30 high stack of books that you need to go oh what, what did they say there when that second was you know you've, you've you know that you've kind of read all the material so yeah. that kind of at that point you then say right this is clearly what the structure of the of the this chapter's argument is going to be um and that's kind of where um 
where I'm going to spend my time. Actually, the main kind of argument of my thesis changed slightly after the second chapter. So Interesting. I had, okay. I had so I had I was thinking about doing this. Uh, so I done so I did my first chapter on with the chapter which wasn't used. <laughs> so I had done a very particular kind of thing there. And in the second chapter, I was getting into it and thinking this is interesting actually because I had I'd been thinking about it very much in in one way. Um, and I was I was reading it more, thinking the problem is that that doesn't kind of work for this chapter so much. This chapter yeah. is this, this kind of text is doing something slightly different. Um, and I don't want to have to force it into a, a you know into an argument which it doesn't fit. So what is the argument going to be? And that's where I kind of developed my methodological and theoretical framework kind of was drawn out of that. So it's, it's an odd kind of process. You know, you have you, you start out with an idea, but then in the research and, and actually particularly in the writing of that chapter, actually, you know, when you when you were doing the close reading and you were you know doing the analysis, you think this is interesting. It's taking me in a different way. It's, it's, I'm finding stuff here which I hadn't thought about. Um, and that then kind of as a, as a way kind of you know, restructured the entire thesis. Um, so you planned in for the flexibility of, you know, things changing yeah, as well. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So it, and then once I had that in place, you know, you then have that as the guiding principle that would motivate your the reading and research. It was, it was kind of like this, this cyclical thing where, you know, you'd refine the original and the kind of overriding argument. And that refining would also then give you a much clearer structure for the individual chapter that you were doing. And, you know, and again, that might be different. That might have been different if my first year had been different to the way it was. But um, it was perhaps one of the silver linings of it was that it allowed me to have that flexibility and that time to reorganize it. Um, in a way that I wouldn't do, which was motivated by, you know, the, the reorganization of it at the start of my second year. So yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of the way you structured your days, because obviously you had to do so much teaching and teaching yeah. prep as well. Did you have specific days just for PhD research set aside? Or was it you just worked on PhD stuff in the mornings? I would always work on it in the mornings, in fairness, because I don't have any motivation or concentration in the afternoons so the important work would always go in the mornings what about See, you it's, it's no secret for me that i'm a terrible morning person i, oh, I it, okay. it, ta it takes me a good while to kind of wake up and get into the feeling of it so i mean what so what i would do really is i rather than do kind of divide it within the days i would say right i've got teaching on these days um so say mondays and wednesdays i would then Right, say, well, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to have as much of a productive time doing that. So I would then take the half days I had when I wasn't teaching those days to do the preparation for next week. So it meant that the teaching, which was happening in the week, so, you know, the seminars I had on a morning or an afternoon, could then be supplemented by doing the work for next week ahead of them. So that meant that there were then, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays where I wasn't teaching and where I could say, right, I've just got this kind of focus now on the thesis and I've got, you know, I can use those hours in and around there. I mean, there would be some days where if I, you know, if there were just a couple of articles I wanted to read, I would fit those in around um, doing the doing the preparation work. Because, you know, again, it, the, the preparation work is sometimes, you know, on the, some of the modules, one week you'll have a 400-page novel, the next you'll have a poem. Uh, and obviously the level of kind of uh, preparation you need to do is not going to be the same on those weeks. So... Um, you know, so, so as you take the opportunities where they present themselves and, you know, kind of say, well, OK, this this week's seminar prep is going to be a lot lighter. Therefore, I only need to spend, you know, one day doing it and I can then obviously max maximize my time when I was doing it then. What it did tend to mean, though, was that my writing would tend to fall. My, my sorry, chapter writing would tend to fall in things like the Easter breaks or around reading week or something. So it wasn't having to compete with the teaching where I could help. it. I mean, sometimes it's unavoidable. You know, you'd have to be doing 
some of it, but I tried to schedule it in such a way that it wouldn't be clashing with the teaching and I could kind of keep as much of a clear focus on it as I could. But obviously some people, it's impossible for some people to do that because they, they just don't, they're, they're re their week isn't structured like that. So, you know. Again, it comes down to having a process in place, but then being yeah. flexible enough to play with it if needed, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And looking at how your project or the way you did your project and research your project shifted from first year then to the part-time what is some advice that you would give your first year PhD self yeah this is this is interesting I mean this is something that I was I've been thinking about um I suppose I suppose there'd be kind of a couple of things the first thing I'd say is that the PhD will not follow the route you think it will you know if you you plan it that first year, you know, you spend that first year really kind of saying, no, this is exactly what I want to do. I'm going to make this kind of commitment. It's going to say this. And then you, and then it kind of comes into contact with reality and you go, actually, it's not going to do that. You know, I think you always start broad, don't you? You start with these, these big ambitions saying, I'm going to write the work on this. And then in the, the kind of the course of it just naturally, you know, reduces itself down. You know, it, it assumes this narrower focus. Yeah. Um, you know, so I would say to myself, don't beat yourself up about that when when it comes to it. You know, don't kind of don't think that it's somehow a problem or, you know, a deficiency that the work is not following the route you did. Recognize it as part of the process and say, you know, the, the process of doing a PhD is kind of coming to terms with your own way of working. But it's also, you know, recognizing that. Kind of, kind of roping in the ambition is probably not the right way of saying it, but you know, not not kind of thinking if you're not answering all aspects of this topic that somehow it's not doing good work because oftentimes that is very much not the case, and you know, the good work comes from you know your own spin on it and, and everything. So so yeah, don't don't kind of think of it as undoing the work that you've already done. See it as part of it and kind of embrace it for that reason. Um, yeah, I, I suppose the other thing is you know, just I, I would probably say to myself now knowing what I do don't I, so I, I had to convince myself really it took it took me a couple of months to convince myself that the part-time PhD was an option you know it's not something I kind of had this this damaging conversion moment to and thought oh that's the answer I, I thought well it's there I know it's there people have done this previously and I thought well is it kind of admitting defeat somehow that I'm kind of having to do this is it kind of an acknowledgement that I'm not up to it on the current schedule and stuff and you I kind of had to really kind of taught myself out of it and said no it's it's not that it's kind of a reflection of your own individual circumstances and you need if you need to do it and you want to have these opportunities to do it to, you know to do teaching and everything else don't be a kind of afraid to explore it so I, I would say to anybody who is possibly you know thinking about it particularly after the first year oh this is this is taking you know th this is exacting much more of a toll than I thought it was and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this think about the part-time as an option you know don't don't think of it as kind of a a lesser thing it's just another way of organizing your time and organizing your your material and it's it's well worth doing as well it's interesting it's interesting that your first default was to think in that toxic academic mindset of this is a defeat it's you you didn't look at it in terms of I'm just switching the way I work just what you just said there which is yeah. way healthier to think about it and more, you know, appreciating the, uh, what you said earlier about everyone is, is its own individual, right? And every path is different. And it's interesting how our first initial thought, our default goes to 
well, this is defeat, right? And it's very toxic when you think about it. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, and the discourse, I mean, I'm, I'm not kind of singling out any particular university. I think this is just academic discourse in general. There yeah. is something about the, those kind of, those three years of the PhD, are kind of this hallowed experience, say, you know, no, a PhD is three years. And the, the experience of doing it in those three years is kind of, you know, is what makes it worthwhile. And I, you know, as I say, the thing with that, those kind of blanket statements is that they don't account for individual circumstance. Um, and that's yeah. kind of, you know, where I think the this kind of, inflexibility really does need to be challenged because it's not a reflection on your ability as a candidate at all. I mean, it's the same extent, you know, the, the, the same kind of principle applies, I think, for people who aren't funded. They think, well, if I've not secured funding for this, that somehow means that my project isn't as worthwhile or it's not as academically rigorous. And it's just nonsense. It's just it's just not true. It just me just so happens that, you know, there are there are trends in academia which are more attractive for funding. It doesn't it doesn't reflect anything on the standard of the work. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people who secure funding, um, there's actually, they end up enjoying it less in some instances because, you know, there's that weight of expectation that comes with it. Um, that's that's know, what it, I heard too, yeah. yeah. Exactly, and it just ends up being kind of productive. I said, well, I, I don't want to do my time, to spend my time doing something I end up hating. I mean, what, that would be the worst possible outcome would be to, you know, to have gone in really fired up and wanting to do it and then come out thinking that was, a, that was an ordeal, I didn't enjoy doing it at all. Um, you think, well, what's the, what's the point in doing it then? You know, if you're going to be spending your time doing something and something you enjoy, why why go along with the process or a set of circumstances that are going to make you miserable um it's just it's just not worth it nothing is worth making yourself miserable to do absolutely and i think that's very much in line with uh what we initially and what i you know carry on in terms of the message of the show uh because there's so much toxicity in academia and especially in this early career stage that people are first lured in and then almost driven away by it and it just takes this massive mental toll so to break yep. these stereotypes is just crucial and if we can just convince one person that you know it doesn't reflect on their character or on their ability to be a good researcher that a part-time phd is the way to go then you know that's a win essentially yeah, isn't it absolutely and, it, and and it's absolutely a legitimate way of doing it as well you know it's as i say it's it shouldn't be thought of as anything else other than that it's a, it's an option that's available to you and given that it is such a serious undertaking the phd you want to, you should have as much of it being in your control as possible you know you don't want to find yourself caught up in something which is just going to overwhelm you and you know lead to burnout because again it's just what's the point in doing it in that case you should you should be able to exercise control over those areas where you can um and if you know and if that takes the form of asking for a bit more time and taking it to a slightly less intense workload i think that should be absolutely seen as a legitimate part of the phd experience and not thought of as i say as anything other than that yeah i couldn't agree more and we haven't even talked about or touched on what if it what if we had children yeah doing exactly. the phd right or uh what if we had a full-time job you know what if we had to pay bills and we had to support family or family members you know we yeah. haven't even touched on that so no, we exactly. were kind of in a very privileged position but just to really emphasize that the toxicity and the default toxicity in academia just has takes such a toll on the whole discussion even looking at academic twitter for example i could go yeah. on and on and on about <laughs> what i don't like about academic twitter but we won't be doing that yeah. now <laughs> but no but as you say it's 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 a legitimate thing to kind of to to caution against and to say look it is it's it's there's no real basis for it and we should absolutely counter it where we can and say you know it's it's worth doing and you know I, I, as i say i mean i was incredibly lucky i finished my phd still loving it you know loved the vibe loved all aspects of it and i would look back and absolutely recommend it to anybody who would do it you read stuff on twitter and you just think these other people who have had it have just had a miserable time and you feel so sorry for them that yeah. the kind of academic climate has made it so inhospitable to them that they feel like 
it's impossible for them to carry on. And there's no kind of acknowledgement that just a little more flexibility, a little more acknowledgement of what a serious undertaking it is on its own, as you say, let alone if you have anything else you've got to worry about around the edges of it. So, you know, I, I think in those terms, the part, the part-time PhD is, is a really kind of valuable thing to do. And it's, it's, I, I can't recommend it enough on that basis. And um, on that note, maybe to wrap our conversation up, is there anything else that we haven't touched on yet that you would like to talk about? Not really. I mean, I suppose there's one thing. It's not so much to do with um, doing a part-time PhD. It's just more a thing which I wish, I suppose it goes back to that thing of what would you say to your first year self? And in some ways it's a small thing, but I really do wish that I had I'd stuck to it. And that was, in my case, don't stop reading for pleasure. Interesting. I think there is something about doing, uh, particularly maybe an English PhD, where um, because you're working with books all the time, you know, and you're do, you're working with a material like that, if you find, I mean, in my case, I found if I was not doing that and I was doing kind of, you know, um, reading for pleasure, the feelings of guilt would kind of mount, build up very, very quickly. It said, well, Rob, if you've got time to read, why are you not reading, you know, something else? Um, and I, in the end, I capitulated to that. And I, it, so my kind of per, reading for pleasure over that time really suffered. And I really wish that I had kind of told myself that it's stupid to think in those terms, that, you, yeah. know, re, you know, reading for pleasure is not something that should be seen as kind of set opposed to work. It should be, you know, as you say, you, you know, you do stuff which reading and kind of doing this stuff informs your practice anyway. Um, so I was trying to think of stuff which I would say to myself because I, you know, when I talk to current MA students and things who want to think about doing a PhD, and that's one of the things I find myself saying is, you know, don't don't let. I, I suppose it's a shorthand way of saying don't let the PhD overrule or overdetermine everything else. You know, it is it is an incredibly important and valuable thing to do. It does take up a lot of time, but it shouldn't take over your life. Um, and I, I I regret that it kind of dominated my life to the extent that I found myself you know, not doing stuff which I love doing because I found my, it was kind of, in my head anyway, it was in conflict with the PhD. Um, so I would say, you know, kind of, if you do have those thoughts, and I, it kind of goes back to, you know, the thoughts you people have about, you know, not being up to it and, you know, the kind of, there, there are certain kind of, you know, where the imposter syndrome creeps in. I think in my case, you, you as kind of debilitating as those can be and as, as you know, as uncertain as they can make you feel, you really do have to kind of try and train yourself out of thinking in those ways to recognise that there's no legitimate basis for them and to say, right, I'm going to, going to do it anyway and, you know, the consequences be damned. Um, and that is something I really wish I had told myself more and stuck by. Um, so it's a small thing, but I think in some ways it kind of, it encapsulates a lot of the different tensions that are, that are present in doing a PhD. Um, and yeah, that's something I would kind of, you know, if you do find yourself feeling guilty for reading, you know, something that is related to your work, don't just kind of enjoy it and savour it and don't, don't let yourself, you know, you know, think of it as something that's, that's kind of antithetical to the work you're doing. I think that's brilliant advice. And it's all about boundaries again, isn't it? You have your workspace and then you have your private space and your personal relaxed space and it's the same with reading kind of you know there's there shouldn't be on overlaps this is your work and yeah, this is exactly. your leisure time reading and the the stricter you keep these boundaries the healthier you will be mentally and and physically is at least what I experienced I don't know about you no absolutely could, could completely endorse that absolutely so Rob where can people find you to talk to you about <laughs> Charlie Jackson well I mean you know you'll you'll know that if I'm on 
Twitter at any point, um, 80% of my tweets are, are about Shirley Jackson. <laughs> I think I probably kind of have re- I'm going to reach the critical mass of it in some ways. But yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter, uh, uh, RobLloyd91. So you know, if you reach out and kind of let me know how much you love Jackson or don't, if you don't like her, because I won't want to hear from you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just... Um, I mean, that's kind of my main kind of avenue yeah. now. So as I say, coming to the end of the PhD, not going to have institutional affiliation for much longer. So mm-hmm. you know, that's, that'll be kind of my main forum for my Jackson proselytizing. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much, Rob, for taking the time coming on and chat to me. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Now it's up to you. Let us know if you're considering a part-time PhD or how your part-time PhD is going. As per usual, you can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at PhDPenningPod or write us an email on our PhDPenningPod at gmail.com. Anything related to Rob, I can forward to him so and he will be involved in all the Twitter conversations um, as well, of course. If you enjoyed the episode, consider donating to our Buy Me A Coffee page so we can keep creating content for you. Thank you again, Rob, and we will see you again here in two weeks with a new episode. Thank you very much indeed. This episode of PhD Penning was written and produced by me, Anna Mahler. You can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at PhDPenningPod or send me an email to PhDPenningPod at gmail.com. If you like the content, rate the show five stars in your favorite podcast app or buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash PhDPenningPod. PhDPenningPod.